live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we want to carry on the conversation with you. So definitely swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in on our social media accounts. All of them are right there. You can just click on follow us and interact because we want to definitely keep the conversation going with you. We got new blogs up on the Parlay Points. You definitely want to check that out, especially if you're hitting the comic shops this week. The T Public Store, there's a sale going on. T-shirts starting at $13, and items are up to 38% off. Hey. All of that and so much more you can find at odphpodcast.com. And always use the hashtag ODPHpod. That being said, let's kick off the entertainment edition of the show, recapping the latest episode of the epic home run hit by Marvel Animation and Disney+. Plus, and that is What If. Mm-hmm. Pad, when this show was announced, did you ever think it was going to be this good? I figured it would be good just because, barring a certain movie that was turned into a TV show, uh, Marvel really hasn't had a lot of misses. They've had some missteps and definite stumbles, but they really haven't had a bad you know, product come out the gate. So I figured it would be good, but I didn't know it would be this good. This show has definitely won me over. I thought that it was going to be good because I'm a fan of the old comic, which, I mean, the title says itself, What If? where they take stories that happen in the comics universe and flip them on a 180 and let the creators really run wild with it. Which is always something people think about no matter what you're a fan of, Marvel, DC, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Like, inevitably, at some point when you're reading something, you always have that thought in your head, well, what if this happened? What if that happened? Mm -hmm. And this is just, hey, we're taking that concept and running with it. Exactly. And now flipping it to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're getting a lot of stories that we really didn't think we needed. And yet here we are. And this most recent episode is definitely one I did not think was going to be as good as it was. I will admit. Sure. I kind of went in with a low bar because I was like, how are they going to make this feel like it makes sense? Mm -hmm. Because it's a very simple title. What if Thor was an only child? See, I didn't even see the title of the episode until this morning. I saw the promo art and I'm like, all right, that's not a lot to go on. It's Thor centric. So we'll see. Yeah. We figured that the God of Thunder was due for a, episode here and we finally got it and it definitely was not what i expected but it was a fun episode nevertheless so we are going to be breaking down episode seven of season one of what if titled what if thor were an only child so if you have not seen the episode yet we'll tell you right now pause this podcast right here and there catch up on it or we give you fair warning after the countdown we deep dive into spoilers so you have been forewarned because after we count down we go right into it. That being said, in three, two, one, pad. What did you think? This was a really good episode. It was an interesting concept that, like I said, I didn't see the title of the episode until this morning. I was like, oh, this could be very interesting. 
And boy, did it go some places. And did we see some matchups that admittedly I never thought of or considered, but once they started happening, I'm like, yo, I need to see this. This episode threw me for a big curveball because I thought it was going to go in a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. But this really captured the vibe of Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy, the fun side of the MCU, Mm -hmm. which after the past few episodes of the Marvel Zombies and the epic episode of Killmonger rescuing Tony Stark, Mm -hmm. they decided to really throw a curveball. And this was a fun episode. Well, saying I got to give kudos uh, to this probably being the episode with the most returns mm-hmm. for any of the shows thus far. Uh, you had Chris Hemsworth returning to play uh, to voice Thor. I didn't think it was her until I saw. I had to actually watch the end credits because I'm like, it doesn't sound like her. You had Natalie Portman uh, return to voice Jane Foster, Kat Dennings uh, as Darcy Lewis, Sam Jackson as Nick Fury, Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster, Colby, uh, Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill, Clark Gregg as uh, uh, Agent Coulson. Uh, you had Taika Waititi as Korg, Karen Gillan as Nebula, Jamie Alexander as Lady Sith, Seth Green as Howard the goddamn fucking duck. Yeah. You know, this was like, I was like, wow, they got a lot. I was looking at it afterwards. I'm like, they got a lot of the actors and actresses to return. They brought it back, including our favorite director. Mr. Clark Gregg. Facts. Oh, man. Just this whole episode was a definite fun trip. And where we kick off is after Odin has won a big battle Mm -hmm. against the Frost Giants, Mm -hmm. he finds Loki and decides to return him Mm -hmm. to his father. Yeah, instead of keeping him. Yes. So it's kind of a little swerve that is going on here. It's like in all these Marvel What If uh, episodes, you see at the beginning... One little sentence gets changed, and this is the sentence that gets changed. Instead of Odin keeping Loki, he takes him home. Yes. So now Thor is raised by himself. Yeah. And we see now that he is just out of control. He's a frat boy. Yeah, to put it mildly. Because well, the one thing they say in the episode, or Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher brings up, is because Loki wasn't there to like torture the shit out of him. Like mm-hmm. we, I'm, we haven't heard everything because... What did Thor say in one of the movies? He's like 1,200 years old or something? Yeah, it's something like that. He's something like that. So there's a lot of torture from Loki over the years because, hey, he's a god of mischief. But Thor in this universe doesn't have all that. So he doesn't have that, like, humbling moments and those bring him back down to Asgard moments. So he's a bit of a dick. He kind of is. That's the easiest way to put it. He more or less is Loki in this episode. He reminded me a little bit of uh, Zac Efron in the movie Neighbors. Oh, great comparison. Neighbors one where like Seth Rogen and his wife go over to like, hey, we've got a baby. We're trying to put the baby to sleep. You know, can you keep it down a little bit? Oh, yeah, sure. No problem, guys. We'll, we'll tone it down for you. And they just turn it up louder. Yeah, it goes absolutely out of control. Like, that's a great comparison, Pad, because Thor gets the great idea while Odin is out. Odin's out. Mama's out. Yep. Well, let's go to Earth. <laughs> well, he says, let's go to the most backwater world in Midgard. Where they won't find us. Yes. And he decides to take the Warriors 3 and Lady Sif with him and decides, hey, we're going to have a party. Yeah. And we're going to invite everybody. Literally. Across the nine realms. Literally. This cannot go wrong, can no. it? No. No. Not at all. Nothing bad can happen here. But when he crashes Earth, this does draw an attention of a familiar face. And that's mm-hmm. Jane Foster. Jane Foster and then Darcy. Yep. So they're like, well, let's go track him down. Yeah, because they, what is it? They detected something happening on Alpha Centauri, I think is the star they mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, Alpha Centauri is gone. So much like in Thor 1, they're detecting the space anomalies and all that. 
they tried calling shield, which I don't know how you get a hold of that number. You know, they, they, I think they were calling shield at the start and shield was like, yeah, right. Whatever. Hang up. So then they called the parks department, you yeah. know, parks and rec, you know, what are they calling Nick Offerman? Yeah. You know, so they're like, Hey, listen, you're the only people we can get a hold of. You need to do something about this. Come on. They're at the parks and rec office. Well, they figure they got to call somebody cause there's a big alien disturbance. Well, clearly they haven't heard the song. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Facts. Oh, that would have been amazing if they would decide to do that crossover. But we get something that I was not expecting to see, and that's one of the biggest parties in Vegas that definitely went out of control in a hurry. Conor McGregor, eat your heart out. Oh, my God, yeah, because by the time the Darcy and Jane Foster show up, the party is going completely out of control. Yeah. You have Thor leading everybody. They They have mugs of ale that don't empty. Right. Like, he makes a point of saying that at one point when one of his crew, his crew goes there. He's like, hey, party drink. It's endless beer. Literally, you, you finish it, and it just magically refills. Yes. And then you have, on the ones and twos, the Grandmaster. Fuck yeah. Jeff Colbert. Oh, my God. Who stops the music one time and is like, foam. <laughs> and it's just it's such a ridiculous moment it works and you're just like only jeff goldblum could pull it off exactly and it's just such an out of control moment where you have the members of the guardians of the galaxy are now there too yeah and it is just the biggest incident yeah i think is the nicest way i could put it yeah and jane foster is trying to be the voice of reason for a little bit but then the sparks fly Odin, or I mean, Thor falls in love yep. immediately. Yep. And it goes completely like what happens in Vegas stays in yeah, Vegas moments. Yeah, yeah, she tries figuring out what happened at Alpha Centauri at the start. Was that you? And he goes, oh, yeah, that was that was just a minor incident, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then he bats his eyelashes and flips his hair, and she goes head over heels. Yeah, it, it, it's just a typical Hollywood moment, but it works so well here. Yeah. They wind up getting tattoos. One says magic, the other says science. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming, but it was just like, okay, this is going completely off, off the track here. And you know what? I'm okay with this because... It's just meant to be fun, and you're and obviously Chris Hemsworth is living it up. Oh my God, yeah. You know when he really flexes his comedic chops, few people can come near him. I I almost wonder because Taika Waititi obviously was voicing Korg in the in the episode. I almost wonder if he didn't have some kind of input on the script. Like oh, he, you had to. Think. He's not listed on the IMDb, and I don't think he was listed in the credits in any way for the writers. But like you have to imagine that they consulted with Taika for some of the comedy. Oh, absolutely. Like they just had that vibe to it. Like I said, this was Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy, fun vibe to it. So you know his fingerprints are all over this, even if it's not on there. The, the essence was captured on this because as they're having their crazy party, the next day, it's completely reenacting the hangover. Yep. That you see a hotel room is completely trashed. Yep. You have Rocket Raccoon in a sink. Yeah. Which, okay. Yeah. Let, let it go. Yeah. You have Jane Foster waking up to Maria Hill kicking in the door and is like, what is going on here? And isn't Darcy married to Howard the Duck at this point? Yeah. Yeah, like there's a quick like montage of things that are going on and drinking, but like they end up in Vegas. Darcy ends up marrying Howard the Duck, which was, gotta say, the oddest moment of the show. Right, but you know what I filed that under? Reasons. Reasons. And we also had a great craps game, too, with Nebula throwing, because she's betting on her eye. Yeah. <laughs> she needs to get a new one. Yeah. Like there's just a little moments when you see the characters so much out of their own element 
and just having fun. Even Drax was wilding out, too. Oh, my God. I mean, like I said, this just had so much win. And it all just boils over to where Maria Hill finally shows up and is, like, trying to tell Jane Foster, Thor has destroyed everywhere he's gone. Yeah, like, why are you coming to me? Because you were the one who warned us about this, and surely that means you're going to be able to find a way to fix all this. Mm-hmm. All right, that's a risk. Yes. And they decide to go with the ultimate option, which they get the the beeper out of the briefcase. Yeah. That was actually hysterical. I was like, what are they going? Oh, my God. They put the yeah. beeper in a briefcase? Yeah. Because they're trying to explain, well, we have to call in a heavy hitter to end this because, well, Director Fury is out. And they're like, well, what? He's out ha- of commission. He's out of commission because... When he tried stopping the party himself, yeah, he got knocked into another county because Korg was running through. I'll say to quote the movie Friday, you got knocked the fuck out. Yep. So he is completely off the board. And this is just now calling in the one and only Captain Marvel to mm-hmm. come in and stop things. Yep. Because when this originally happens, Thor is waiting, but he's not ready to stop the party. No. And... They wind up having a knockdown drag out battle, mm-hmm. which I thought was very cool because yeah. it was like the BC Boys say, "You got to fight for your right to party." That was a, that was the matchup I never thought about, but I it started. And I'm like, "Yo, I'm here for this." Because a lot of times you hear Thor getting a fight with a hero, a lot of people think of uh, Hulk, mm-hmm. you know. But I gotta admit. Never thought of him fighting Captain Marvel. I was like, "Ooh, I'm here for this." Yeah, Captain Marvel, L- literal god versus a demigod. I guess you could say. You could kind of say that, but Captain Marvel's power levels are so incredible that she's one of the the most powerful beings in all the MCU. Mm-hmm. So you want to see what Thor does. And like I said, we've had time and time again where Thor has fought Hulk. Thor yeah. has had a little uh, skirmishes with the Thing. Yeah. Not so much because Thing gets along with I'll say it was, a, it was Him versus Hulk was a running gag in the, one of the recent uh, Avengers cartoons. Uh, yeah. Like they just always were fighting each other. Well, exactly, because it's just more of an ego thing between them both. But to see the battle go down between Captain Marvel and Thor was cool. Uh, Thor definitely got the upper hand, and then Maria yeah. Hill was basically saying, well, we have to get him out of Vegas to really capture him because this is only escalating more and more, and we're going to have collateral damage. Yeah. Which, I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's one yeah. thing. I'm actually kind of surprised they haven't introduced damage control. Yeah, yeah, that that's got to be. Well, weren't they talking about doing a show about that on ABC? But it got it got canned. That was one point. And damage control, if anybody's not familiar with, is basically the cleanup crew. When all these superhero battles happen, they're the ones that go in and fix everything the next day. It it, it would be a very cool concept that they decide to do the show. But I know that it never got off the ground from developmental. But if they ever decide to go there, I tell you what, that show I think could actually work. It's a very interesting read. It's it's a right. comedic read because. Like, seriously, can you imagine putting on your resume, I go clean up superhero battles? <laughs> like, how does that fly? Yeah. I don't know. You have to look for it on LinkedIn. Anyway, we get to another idea of how Jane Foster is trying to get in here and really saying, no, Thor's not the bad person. Yeah. He's not the villain you're making him out to be. Yeah, and all the while you've got Maria Hill going, what the fuck, you're supposed to be strong. Like, she goes and confronts Carol at one point, goes, Fury said you're the strongest one there is, that one of your punches was equal to 10 nuclear bombs going off. Why mm. aren't you defeating him? And 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 this has got to be the first instance in the MCU we really get an idea of how powerful she is because comic readers know how powerful she is and we've gotten glimpses of her power, but I don't think she's ever, you know, cut loose a la Superman. Mm-hmm. 
this has got to be the first instance where we kind of get an idea of just how powerful she is because Maria says, you know, you're, you're, one of your punches is supposed to be equivalent to 10 nukes going off. Yeah. And, and Carol says, if I do that, I'm going to punch a hole through the earth, and I don't want to be responsible for that cat, those casualties. Exactly. No, it's a smart play. So she understands her power levels, and she understands what she's up against. But Jane Foster comes up with a very unique idea. He calls it Thor's mom. Mm-hmm. She does. She calls Thor's mom. Oh well, yeah, based off the idea, like, hey, what do you do if you got a guy throwing a party and he won't stop? Call mom. Yep. So as they go for another round, Frigga announces she's coming to Earth to find Thor. All the meanwhile, Jane's explaining the whole thing in between sips of wine. Yes. Which was which was just funny. Like it's a high tense moment that they're doing multiple cuts and jump cuts of of explaining and, and destruction and this and that. And it's just, she just keeps drinking wine. It's like a uh, high, more important things. Exactly. But now that uh, Thor's mom is coming to earth, he's like, Oh, okay. We need to fix everything. Uh, and I love the interaction. Cause Carol's there and Carol's almost like, Ooh, you're in trouble. And then, you know, the projection of Thor's mom disappears and she goes, my recommendation start at the corners and work your way around. And I Christ almighty. I love Chris Hemsworth delivery. And he just goes, Start at the corners. It's it, it's spherical. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Like I said, his comedic timing was so much on point for this episode. And you see him fixing, obviously, he trashed Stonehenge is where he wound up in the initial battle with Carol Danvers. So he has to fix that. Yeah. Then he goes to fix the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yeah. Then he's Mount going Rushmore. to. Yep. He's fixing Mount Rushmore. He's Because at this point, uh, a little bit before this, Frost Giant Loki showed up. Yeah. Which, that was Tom Hiddleston coming for the party. My brother from another mother. Oh, my God. I was dying when this happened. And and, and like I say, you get those two together, it's always comedic magic. With, yeah. With, it's just with something Hiddleston about and Hemsworth. Yeah, they just they have such a great pairing off each other. It works so well. And you see that, obviously, Thor is doing his damnedest to get caught up. Yeah. And he does just before... Mom shows up. I'll say he's finishing up scrubbing off Thor rules that was spray painted on the side of the uh, arch in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like that was a very, very cool moment. And you just see that as he's sitting there teaching. Oh my God. Cause he's supposed to be on a cultural exchange. Yes. That's what, that's what he's trying to spin as his story. I'll say, I think every kid has been here at some point where like, you know, you're getting in trouble and you just lie to mom and mom's like, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he thinks he's in the clear, everything's all good, and he's going to go, all right, phew, we dodged that bullet. And then lo and behold, because another, like this was out of left field, but I was here for it. We see coming through a portal mm-hmm. an old friend, mm-hmm. Ultron. Yeah, well, Ultrons. Yeah, plural. Break it down, Pat. So, yeah, end of the episode, you have Thor kind of save things. He's teaching. Carol shows up, gives him an iPad with books and texts and PBS documentaries and NPR podcasts. And and he goes to leave and, and even the watcher goes and it was happily ever after. And you just hear him. You just see a portal open up and he goes, Oh no. And you see an army of Ultrons come through, including one who's got all six infinity stones on his body and the head opens up and Ultron and uh, visions inside. Yeah. Can I see that please? I actually really want to see that episode. I want to see, like I say, they're putting together so many good episodes. I kind of want to see a sequel. But Frat Boy Thor versus Infinity Ultron. Yo. I am very, very curious of how that would play out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think ultimately Ultron wins. Yeah, but. Yeah, especially this early in the timeline. Yeah. But this episode, like I said, super fun. Yeah. 
like was it my favorite episode? No, but I enjoyed it for what it is because it really to me captured the fun side of the MCU. Yeah. Like nothing really felt forced. You had Frat Boy Thor doing Frat Boy things. Mm-hmm. You even had uh Loki come in, obviously still being a frost giant. Yep. But still coming in and just playing off the chemistry there. He wasn't on the episode for that long, so that's why I said it can't really stick out too much. But still, that dynamic is still there. Mm-hmm. And like I say, you had so much just fun moments from this that I just can't stress enough. If you went in and think it was going to be more serious, you might have been let down a little bit. But I took it for what it was, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Pad, what are your final thoughts on this? Uh, no, I definitely enjoyed the episode. It, it, we've had a bunch of serious episodes, you know, with Killmonger rescuing Tony Stark, zombies, you know, Doctor Strange, you know, Avengers dying, you know. There's been so many heavy, dark episodes that it was nice to have a fun break and take a lighter look at the MCU. You know, it's something that's just utterly ridiculous, but so on brand for Thor. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a win-win episode. Like I say, you go in, have a little break from the serious monotony that we've had with the show thus far. They've really taken a different turn in the MCU, and I'm here for it. And like I say, you can really put some great stories together if you let the creative team go wild with it. And this was just meant to be a fun episode, and they even finished a little serious, but I'm actually kind of curious how this is going to play out. Yeah. But that being said, we gave you our takes. Now we want to hear yours, ODPH Society. What is your thoughts about What If Thor Were an Only Child? Episode 7 of Season 1 of Disney Plus's What If? Hit us up on the social media accounts and let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and it's time to take a trip to Alexandria. Oh, yeah. Because we're going to be recapping the latest episode of season 11 of The Walking Dead, entitled Out of the Ashes. So if you're new to the show, we have been recapping one of our favorite shows here and going down the home stretch of the final season dot 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 asterisks because Seasons. we don't know how this is all gonna finally unfold because they have spinoff shows coming we yep. do know that the quote-unquote flagship show is scheduled for 24 episodes and they're breaking off their run here in eight episode increments mm-hmm. so we are on episode five yep. of eight and we are going to be jumping in the spoilers and you already know the deal when we give done with saying the countdown we go deep diving so we give you fair enough time to pause you can see the liner notes in the episode, and then you can jump right back in after you watch because we definitely want to have that interaction with you. So that all being said, in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think of Out of the Ashes? Uh, I thought it was a good episode. A lot of tension, a lot of craziness, but it was a good episode overall. It was a good episode, I will say that, but too much jumping around for me and my liking. Sure. I understand why because the cast is so big. And you have a lot of characters involved in their own stories. Yeah. But it comes down to, are you really forcing a lot in there? Or is it just, would it be a little better if the characters could breathe and just have maybe like half the episode to them and then half to another group? When When you try telling three stories in one episode, it's a lot. And it definitely, in my opinion, waters down a little bit of what you're really trying to have an impactful moment because for where this episode goes, 
we do get a return of Aaron, mm-hmm. played by Ross Marquant. Yep. And where his story has been, and obviously being in Alexandria with, obviously Daryl is off the board, the Maggie and Negan story is going on, and plus there's the group of Ezekiel, Eugene, Yumiko, and Princess in, captured by the Commonwealth. So mm-hmm. we now get kind of an update of what's going on in Alexandria, and we wake up in the episode, well, I should say he wakes up in the episode, having a nightmare and reliving what has gone on with Alpha. Yeah. So we do see that he wakes up, and he is just having a very, very bad flashback, especially with seeing a character with a bloody uh, engraving on his forehead. And what is that engraving, Pad? It's a W. Yeah. Because it's for the Whispers. And then you see that... Aaron is in a fight scene with him and is panicking, and then all of a sudden, he wakes up. Yep. And when he sees this, uh, obviously he realizes that he's quote-unquote safe and hopefully sound. I will say this is not without uh, Maze, played by Robert Patrick, screaming stop. Yes, like I said, he's, yep. ha- he's having that flashback. And obviously, being where he's been and what Alpha and company did to him, losing an arm... And just the whole surviving in this whole crazy TWD world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's just, it, it takes its toll. And he's just living with these nightmares. Yeah, I mean, it's already a tough world to begin with. You know, end of the world, so to speak. The dead are rising. But then you also deal with there's no food. There's mm-hmm. no livestock. There's no crops. They've literally got nothing. No, they have other abs- than the clothes on their back. They have very little to go on. They have absolutely little hope right now, too. You can see the morale is down. And after he wakes up from his nightmare, well, Jerry also happens to see that they have some uninvited visitors. Yeah. That somehow the walls of Alexandria are not holding up. And we have walkers. Which could be from a lack of supplies. I can't keep the walls updated. Could also be somebody let them in. Just saying. Yeah, because that's all completely possible. And we do see these walkers have came in and are decimating some of the town folk. Mm-hmm. So we do have that minute where the Alexandria town has to go fight these walkers. And they're banging on the walls, which was weird. Yeah, it, it was definitely an interesting scenario. So, like, the worst possible moments are now happening where this group, which they thought they're in a safe camp, Yet again, are not. Well, and you also have Aaron who just dreamt, you know, a nightmare of his daughter dying. And now you have walkers on the inside. So, yeah, nightmares are coming true for him. Yeah, it's going to definitely wear on him. And you understand that this is the worst possible scenario going. So especially have they have to go fight their own neighbors Mm -hmm. who are now turned. Yep. But this is something that happens when you live in the TWD world. So we go from there to a very... Different throwback video. Yeah, because this was coming right out of the commercial break. So at first I thought this was just an odd like Geico commercial or something like that. But then, no, it's part of the episode. Yes. And we do see that there is a gentleman who is welcoming you, the viewer, (laughs) to the Commonwealth. If you're watching this video, you've made it through the rigorous screening process of the Commonwealth community. And you have been approved to join us. Under the leadership of Governor Pamela Milton, we are over 50,000 strong. It's it's real weird. Oh, yeah. It's so cheesy. Yeah. And and it's such a throwback to the days of the infomercial. Uh Uh-huh. And it's just like... Speak to Miss Khalil. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's just... It's such a throwback. And you're just like, oh, this is so cringeworthy. 
But it works for what they're trying to do here because the Commonwealth seems like a utopia. But the um, yeah, no. jury is still out. And we do see our survivors that are residents, question mark, uh, getting their now assignments of the community, which yeah. is kind of a weird thing. Yeah, because I guess the thing with we find out from that video with the community is every person is uh, specially assigned to a job best suited to their skills uh, to help the community, which I guess is why they get asked a thousand times the same questions. Uh, but we do find out that uh, Ezekiel is on animal control because... Yeah, no shock there. Uh, Princess is on retail clerk. Uh, Eugene is on the high school's teaching pool. And then Yumiko is invited to the Office of State Affairs uh, to talk about some things. Yeah, so it it makes sense, obviously, Eugene being one of the more book smart people in the world. Yeah. Uh, So him being a part of anything high school, I could understand, or teaching, I should say, rather. Yeah. Uh, Yumiko, who is definitely probably the most street savvy yeah. Of the group right now. Yeah. Uh, being involved in the political side of things uh, it makes a lot of sense. Princess is such a wild card that it's got to be something they consider a low risk job. So I put her in the place where she can do the least amount of damage. Exactly. And Ezekiel, like Pat's touched upon, animal control. Well, <laughs> I, ra- I raised a lion. Yeah. Or a tiger or whatever it was. Yeah, you raised a tiger. I mean, like, what was what he going to say about that? So as they go to break up and get. Uh, a little more further updates about what their roles are going to be. Eugene takes off with his mysterious lady friend, Stephanie, to do more surveillance because nothing can go wrong here, right? No, no. Eugene's meeting up with a person on the Internet. My parents have definitely never told me to do that. Exactly. But this is even the Internet. It's over uh, radio frequencies. True. Man, oh, man. Josh McDermott, though, like I got to say, one of his stronger episodes because yeah. usually he is the guy that is, I don't want to say a sniveling coward, but let's face it. Yeah. So to see him do some initiative, very surprised at and very happy to see. Yeah. Because he is definitely on a mission to get information and get back to Daryl and company. Right. Like that's that's what he is focused on doing. Yumiko obviously has another side mission going on in her world too because she finds out that her brother tommy is alive yeah and she asks about that and and all of a sudden the guy in the office who at first was like diplomatic and and cut and very to the point was like yes man right away man and i'm like okay what the hell's happening here well you you have to figure that now she works for the commonwealth that and she's a high-ranking person from what i'm assuming true that she's getting a lot more done with very little effort because of where she is in their status, like of how they have everybody broken down. So that's something that was kind of interesting. And they'll kind of touch upon a little later in, in this recap. But then we go shifting back to Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And we do run into Rosita, who we have not seen in a yeah. while. And she is saying, well, the walls, eh, they're not in the best shape. They're not in the best shape. I mean, obviously, they've still not fully recouped from the Whispers attack. And Aaron is basically saying, well... We can make a run to the hilltop and see what we can salvage, and it's got to be our one of our last options here. Yeah, because they're, they're not sure if there's anything still there. Rosita asks, you know, and what if there's nothing left? If we can't make Alexandria safe, we need to start thinking about other options, to which Aaron says, Alexandria's our home. If I'm not ready to abandon ship, not yet. we got to fight to save it first. Uh, my guy, it's already a sinking ship. Yeah, it's a, you know, like I don't know what you're... you're... Like, the ti- like if it's we're talking Titanic, it's already half sunk here. Like, it's already going down. Like, he almost goes giving me, like, uh, a Dale or a Herschel vibe, like trying to be the yeah. conscience, and yeah. that, that, that never ends well. Yeah. in the show 
But then we get thrusted into the best storyline going on this early season, mm-hmm. and that is Negan and Maggie, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Lauren Cohen, always on point. Yeah. And they're still on the run from the Reavers, and they have to work with each other, and they're trying to get to a safe place. And obviously, this is not going as well as one would think, because no, let's face it. They hate each other. Yeah, and rightfully so. Negan killed Glenn. Maggie hates Negan for killing her husband. Yeah, Negan even says the only way this works uh, is if we trust each other. Maggie goes, why would I ever trust you? To which Negan smartly replies, I don't know, because you want to stay alive? Yeah, which, I mean, it's right on point. Like, everything that they're doing makes sense. Yeah. And so that is their little, but it's so quick when they're in having their storyline, which I thought took away a little bit from this episode. Yeah. I really did. Like, it wasn't something I was like, oh, man, like, I need more of this. Because then we go back to the Aaron and company going to Hilltop, which is just a shell of itself. Yep. Because it didn't survive during the Whisperer War. It got burned to the ground. Yeah, exactly. So as they're going up there and and salvaging what they can, there's they kind of notice that, like, not everything is what it seems. But then they jump away from this episode and go give time to Judith, which... I'm not mad about no because I because she's a very great character that is growing up in this Walking Dead universe. You really get the temp in the room of how a, a, a child is growing up here, and when there is another child that is deciding to torment a zombie and play a very dangerous game of roulette, yeah, because he keeps throwing his hand in front of a walker who is sticking their head through an exposed center of the wall. She tells him, stop doing it. Like, what are you doing? And then the smartest guy in the room, quote unquote, decides to get in Judah's face and shove her and say, you talk too much. Yeah. So, and uh, decides to really put the exclamation point on the assholery and says, quote, no wonder your mom abandoned you. To which Judith doesn't take this for anything, gets to her feet, pulls out the sword, presses it to her neck and says, say it again. I dare you. Yeah, he presses right. She presses it right to his neck and is like, "Do it again." I, I'm begging you. She wants that smoke really bad. Uh huh. And she gets talked out of it by Aaron's daughter Grace, and they basically, she has a moment where she breaks down because obviously, without her family being directly there, yeah, it's it's tough and it she's, weighs. She's essentially like I know that she's got the community and they feel like a you know. Uh, uh, family to her, but in terms of biological family, she doesn't have any. No, she really well, doesn't. That she knows of. No, it's it's very tough. Then we get then we go right back to Maggie and Negan, which I'm like, oh, like I understand we want to try juggling around, hot but potato, hot potato. Yeah, but it's like you guys should have just kept it on that scene to begin with, and then go to Judith. But I digress. This is just me being very analytical. And then we see that Negan is the only one that is focused on surviving here because Maggie is, Maggie's still. F- Thinking with rage in her mind because uh, their last scene, you know, she said, "I'll if I stay alive, it'll be in spite of you, not because of you." To which I'm thinking, I don't feel like a walker gives a shit about that. Yeah, exactly. Like there's no point, and she's just so back and forth because, as Pat has touched upon in previous episodes, she's giving that rictator vibe uh-huh. that is eventually wearing on her, and then. Mag, then Negan, like Negan is the voice of reason as Which much is as shocking. Well, it's shocking, but he's like, listen, I'm stuck with you. I got, I need you alive. If I want to stay alive, he understands the situation. Yeah. And he's just basically saying, you know what? 
We need to get through this. You need to know when to, when to cut your losses. I'm like, hey, enough's enough. Yeah, like you you have something to live for. I do too. So if everybody is not meeting up with us, we're we're not going to wait around. Like we have to get going. Then we cut away, go back to the Commonwealth, which like I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. like I say, this just really annoyed me this episode. And then we find out that Yumiko tracks down her brother Tommy, yeah, who's doing what pad uh, in a bakery making cakes. Yes. Good cakes, I would say. Yeah, very good cakes from what everybody's saying. So, like I say, there's a little quick moment with them, and then they go back to Aaron at the hilltop. And it's kind of like, all right. Well, because wasn't the, wasn't the cake thing right before commercial break? Yeah, it so, was. So, it seems like we're jumping in recap, but, like, show the brother, drop the cake, cut the commercial, come back. So, it makes sense when you watch it. It makes sense when you watch it, but it's like, it still does so much jumping around. And that's the one thing that I think really takes away from this episode. Yeah. Even though there is some good moments that happen because once Aaron is up at the hilltop and is investigating, well, they find out that they're not alone. Yeah. Well, and Aaron goes, everything's gone. And Jerry goes, not everything. A lot of us are still standing. Remember that. Well, Jerry's that's comforting. Yeah. He's ultimately the voice of like hope and reason for, for their, for their team. And then they wind up, Finding a walker, so to speak. Oh uh, yeah, and then lo and behold, it's a whisper. Yeah, they they find the group of walkers are being hoarded, and then yeah, they find uh, whispers. Uh, yeah, they take out the group, and then they find the whisper and unmask him. And hey, Lydia knows the guy. Yes, which also brings up more drama. Yeah. Then we go back to the Commonwealth. It's like hot oh. potato, hot potato. Seriously, and then we get—I mean—we get more time with Eugene and Stephanie, which we do get a, a great comedic moment of the episode. Yes, yeah, Eugene finds an ice cream truck, sees somebody getting what was it like six ice cream cones off yeah. the damn thing, mm-hmm. and he just goes, "Is that Rocky Road?" Yes, <laughs> and he is just you know enamored about what's going on there, and and Stephanie is trying to talk to him, and is just like. Here's some ice cream, like, and you gotta think about this. They have not had these pleasantries we take no, for granted. No, in I don't know how many years now it feels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's Stephanie even hands him a, a scoop of ice cream and says it's not black raspberry, but see what you think. You know, hey, it's, it's, like you said, it's it's pleasantries they haven't had. Mm-hmm. And then Eugene basically is telling her, "Listen, I'm and I'm just gonna paraphrase this. I love being here. This is great, but I came here on a mission." And I have to go help my friends, and I have to do what I need to do. And he is more or less asking for her help. Yeah. Which she gives, which I, I thought was a great moment. And then he finds that, well, I notice there's a radio tower. Yeah. And says, well, you know what? If I go there, I can contact my people in Alexandria because nobody will notice because he's so smart. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Here we go. Yep. So they come up with this Mission Impossible-esque plan to break in, contact Alexandria like nobody's paying attention. And meanwhile, they happen to notice, well, maybe that'll work, but we see that Mercer is standing watching. Yep. He, is, he is the gentleman in the orange armor just scoping the situation out. Yep. And then... We go back to Alexandria. Like it's like, oh, this drives me nuts. But yeah, here we are. And then we find out that the gift that was left by Rick and Carl for Judith has been broken. Mm-hmm. So the last moments of the uh, world that she knew is completely gone. Well, it's not even a world she knew because that was made when she was a baby. Right, but 
yeah. still the last semblance of yeah. like what normalcy would uh, well, be. Well, yeah, and it's like the one last connection she has. You know, Rosie even says, "I remember when you made those. You were so small. Carl wanted you to have a memory together." And I gotta say, I I feel for Judith here because I I know how she's feeling. You know, it goes now it's broken and he's gone. Everybody is. You know, she even asks, "Does it get easier?" And Rosita, well, hey, kudos for not you know sugarcoating it for her. I'd be lying if I said it did. Yeah, which I mean, it, it she makes sense, and obviously, there's no reason to lie to anybody in this universe about what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, it is what it is. You're going to grow up in this world, and it's not going to get better. Yeah. This is very bleak and very, very depressing. And then Rosita even gives a story trying to emphasize with Judith about what happens, and yeah. and and she more or just less lets her know, like, listen. You always have them in your memories. Material things fade away. Yeah, you're not. You're not alone. You're not alone. And then from that heartwarming scene, well, we go. Let's kick things up a notch. Bam! Back to Hilltop, and we see Aaron is shaking down the whisper. We get a name, Keith. Yeah. And we get a story per se yeah. because he's. We saying, find out a little bit about the whispers. Yeah, cause, supposedly because he he claims that he's all that's left. That everybody heard when Alpha fell, they everybody took off. Yeah, and Aaron is like, I don't buy this for a fucking second. You're full of shit, and I know this. And Lydia's like, well, you know, I you you believe, you know, other people in the past, and Aaron is just so yeah, don't care. Yeah, so jaded that he's just like. I'm not hearing this. I was got to be honest. I was a little, I don't want to say scared, but I was a little surprised just to see Aaron go this far because we have not seen this out of him. No, he's, he's like I said, he's been the voice of reason, like in that Dale role and the Herschel yeah. role. Like yeah. he's been the calm, cool collective one, but we see that there is a change in him. And like, you see this in most of the TWD universe that how they start out with, they're getting broken down. By the world around them. Mm-hmm. So this is a whole different ball of wax. And we see that Aaron is just like going into his best Christian Vale Batman voice. How many more? Where are they? Where are they? Rawr. And you're you're seeing Lydia's like, listen, calm down. They're just trying to be normal again. And Aaron is like, no, they're planning on doing something. You can't trust them. And you know what? They're going to come back and then we're going to have to fight them again. And this is not going to work. Meanwhile, Jerry spots something. He spots a headscarf. Uh, it's his wife's headscarf, and he's not too thrilled. Yeah, so he's like, fuck this. We're going to just handle this our way. And Keith is just like, um, uh, time to shoot my shot. Yeah, this is not going to be good. And he basically tries pulling the knife and slashing Aaron. Doesn't he graze him? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. he grazes him. Yeah. Then, then Carol decides to jump in and punch him. And basically, everybody, you know, what's left of the whispers around this time is gone. They're gone. They, they, they're splitsville. Yeah. That basically, he wasn't the only one there. Yeah. They catch wind, and basically, they run like rats. Yep. So the exposure is there because once that this whole story that Keith gave them about nobody else being there, well, they see that Jerry is now pissed and that they're in a losing battle, so they just take off and leave him for dead. And Aaron goes completely, you know, bail bat and, no, it's my turn. <laughs> I'm going to take care of this. Where's the detonator? Yeah, exactly. Imagine if they had a detonator. 
during this point. Hey, well, they did in uh, Fear. Oh, I know. Well, kind of. Well, Fear did. But Fear does no wrong in my eyes. We'll be talking about that in a couple weeks. But now back to this episode because, hey, guess what? Hot potato time. Cakes. We jump back to the Commonwealth. And we see that Yumiko and Tommy are now finally having that long yeah, discussion with each other. Which is nice. And we get the backstory about what happened. Tommy took off and wound up linking up with this group. And he's and he is basically just so enamored in the culture that's built here. Yeah. He drops a really interesting quote, which he's like, I almost forgot what's going on outside these walls. Yeah, he also had a hell of a trip. He was in Chicago. Ended up in West Virginia, which is a hell of a uh, trek. Mm -hmm. Goddamn. Yeah. Uh, But no, at one point, uh, towards the end, you do have uh, Yumiko ask, uh, is this place really as good as it seems? And he goes, and he goes, better. Uh, And she goes, uh, and if she wanted to get help for others, he goes, anything is possible as long as you follow the rules, which is a very interesting quote. Yes, it's very interesting. And that comes into play a little later in this episode because then guess what hot potato time yeah and we go back to the hilltop yeah and aaron basically has gone completely off the rails here he's gone full uh bell bat yeah so he's got keith tied up and he has a walker in biting mode yeah basically on a pitchfork it looks like (laughs) that's what it looks like and he's looking like he's gonna prod him and keith is sitting there screaming for his life but he's also saying like alpha told us about you alpha was right yeah which a hell of a line here yeah Ooh. exactly uh he drops that you pretend you're better than the dead but the dead is honest your friends are better off yo man if you're going down go down swinging yeah i you know what that was a badass line drop a dj clue bomb on him <sighs> yeah he they he definitely made his point with that quote and aaron says no you know what i'm gonna let this walker have some flesh. Yeah. And he lets the walker bite Keith's hands. And Keith is screaming. And then Aaron goes completely dark here. Well, you we can either cut your hand off or let you die. It just depends if you're going to give us the information. And are the whispers yeah. still here? Yeah. And Aaron is screaming at him still. Not in uh, Christian Bale voice, though. I was, I was kind of disappointed by that. Yeah. But then Lydia is, like, freaking out about this. And Lydia's, like, trying to... Uh, yeah, because I think everybody outside of uh, Aaron and Jerry are feeling very uncomfortable about this whole situation. Carol's, like, very calm, though. Like, that's the weird thing. Because she's been here. This, this, this version of Aaron was what Terminus Carol was. She's been there. Yeah, which, I mean, like I said, what's she going to say wrong? And then Keith basically breaks down, like, and fesses. Yeah, there was more, but I don't know anything more. I don't know. I don't know. They're gone. I don't know. Yeah. And then Carol winds up shooting the walker in the head and basically now decides to be the voice of reason and says, stop this because you regret it. Yeah. And Aaron is like, you know what? Quote, I am doing what I have to to keep everyone I love safe. You of all people. People should understand that, end quote. Carol comes back, not like this. And then Aaron hits with the mic drop. Look around. We are standing on the ashes of what the whispers destroyed. Gracie is going hungry because of them. The world is full of people who are beyond saving, and I am not going to wait for them to show up at our doorstep. Boom. 
Uh, but Carol answers back with one of her own. She makes a bit of an emotional plea. She reminds Aaron of what happened uh, to her son, you know, and it led her down a dark and destructive path. And people, let's face it, people she cared about got hurt. Uh, she said, and then she goes, quote, now everything that I do, I carry that. And that she's crying. This is a path you don't want to go down. Now you let him go. Let him go. Yeah. Which Aaron reluctantly just has a blade in the dirt and says, I can cut your hand off or you can do it yourself. The choice is yours. And basically is like, I don't even care anymore. Like the moment has passed. It's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. And then guess what? Hot potato time. We go to Alexandria and, and Eugene finally connects with them. So now we finally tie everything together, which like seriously took way too long to do. And Eugene is trying to talk to Rosita and basically give as much information as he can. But then Mercer and company kick in the door and say, you're under arrest because you're tampering with government property. Unauthorized use. Yeah. Like I said, it's like, well, you got to remember the Commonwealth is the government here. So yeah. that's, that's their yeah. property. So everybody in their group is now arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then meanwhile, like the best storyline yet again, Maggie and Negan, because we're playing hot potato yet again, like they finally get some more arguing done. Uh, Maggie and Negan start having like a little physical altercation. And then right before something's going to happen, Gabriel shows up. Yeah. And then basically they're like, well, all right, are we ready to do something now? What are we going to do? And they're basically assessing that the rest of their group is dead. We need to do something, and Gabriel's like, we'll wait. Yeah, I love the line Gabriel has where, oh, how you doing? I've been better, been mm-hmm. worse, which all things considered perfectly sums up like the previous 10 seasons. Yeah, and then, of course, Maggie is just like, oh, yeah, you heard him. We're going to do this. End of their story, which oh, jumped around way too much for my liking. Way, way, way too much. And then we go to the Commonwealth to close out, and we get – the the breakdown of like they've been arrested and here's the law they violated which again very fucking detailed oh yeah no they, well that's what i said they the commonwealth has a very unique government system going on it's here like article you know whatever section whatever the commonwealth criminal code it's like you've thought this out exactly so once this happens princess is screaming for yumiko smart idea yeah which <laughs> kudos to her went for to harvard this. yeah i forget what she said yeah smart yeah she went there but no they get another visitor, and that is Lance Hornsby, mm-hmm. who was the gentleman from the 90s video. Yeah. You know, or the 90s-esque, I should say. I mean, it had, like, 80s, 90s vibes to it. Yeah. And he says, uh, no, we're releasing them. Yeah. And basically, he says, well, you know what? You're going to be indebted to us, so we'll figure this out. Yeah, and, and even Stephanie warns him, like, hey, listen, you know, he'll, be, he'll, stop, you, he'll stop you from getting tossed out of here. But it comes with a cost. Yeah. And let's face it, based off of the little bit we've seen from this community, it's not going to be like, hey, you got to do 10 hours of community service. Yeah. But then we finally close the episode out with Back to Hilltop. And Lydia's trying to smooth things over with Keith, which I don't get. Carol leaves them with, like, scraps. Shrooms, yeah. Yeah, which I'm like, okay, this is stupid. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, she I, empathizes. She empathizes, but I tuned out at this point. I'm just like, okay, we have taken way too much time to go over a, a wannabe whisperer to really drive this point home because it's just basically saying Keith is trying to say, well, we changed, and you know what? We can change, and you have to buy into this. And it's not happening. Yeah. And the only thing that this kind of, you know, leads into is 
They might have an idea about Connie, who I completely forgot about. So did I. And the fact that we're now mentioning her, is was like, okay, well, we took a roundabout way to get here. But it was cool to kind of see a little shade of Aaron that we haven't seen before because Jerry is in there just trying to say, well, you know what? It's kind of good we didn't kill him because at least we got this information now. Yeah. And then Lydia is just kind of sitting back and, and, you know, talking with Carol about what's going on. And Aaron is just like, <sighs> here we are. Yep. End of episode. Like I say, there was good moments here, but too much hot potato for my liking. Yeah. So, Pad, final thoughts on the episode? Uh, good episode. I dug the tension and uh, like what I saw. Definitely interested to see where they go. A little bummed out about the whole eight episodes thing because I didn't know that was going to be a thing until, you know, they got like partway through the episode. They're like, and they mentioned, you know, the last three episodes this year. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? So I'm, I'm excited to see where they go because that means we just get more cliffhangers. Well, it's true. Like, we're going to get something out of this. But like I say, when the moments were good, they were good. But if you want me to be invested in your show... The hot potato is not working. Let's say end of episode eight, uh, episode eight cliffhanger. Rick comes back, calling it now. Oh, probably. Or I'm hoping Negan does something. Because, I mean, like I said, your best storyline you had going, you did bits and pieces, and they were so, like, spaced out. I lost track, and I genuinely lost interest. However, I did like this episode for what it was. Like I say, it was it was okay. It was good. Yeah. Like, it was, like I yeah. said, am I blown away by it? Am I saying a media rewatch? No. No, I'm not. But it was cool to see Aaron's character go through this kind of metamorphosis and finally get some time. But then again, this is one problem you have when everybody is on the show and you're jumping around so much. You don't get those moments. But when they hit, they work. And that's the big takeaway from this. If you had a certain character, when they finally got a chance to shine, they shined. Yeah. You know, and plus him doing Christian Bale Batman voice worked. (laughs) It's my turn. Where are they? Where are they? Yeah. So that all being said, we gave you our takes. Now we want to hear yours. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What was your thoughts about episode five of season 11 of The Walking Dead entitled Out of the Ashes? We want to have that conversation. Let us know, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. In the not too distant future, following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2. There's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to The Last Comic Shop. Rate, review, and subscribe to our weekly comic book reviews on all the major podcasting platforms at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and this week marks the return of one of my favorite shows from the DC Universe, HBO Max, comics in general, Doom Patrol Returns. Oh, okay. Let's go. One of the best shows on TV. I don't even care if it's a superhero show. This dynamic that they have presented really defies 
everything you really know from comics. Doom Patrol has always been the quirkiest team in all of DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Long-standing history. They have very similarities to the X-Men, but they definitely go in a very, very different direction. And since this show has debuted, it has been nothing but an absolute delight. Mm. The cast that they have is just been killing it. And we are in t- getting ready for engaging in season three because I'm telling you this. If you have not watched by now, this show has just hit on all cylinders. And the cast, like I, I tell you, just is crushing it. April Balby is returning in her role as Rita Farr. Okay. Diana Guerrero is returning as Crazy Jane, and she should have gotten an Emmy because she plays a masterful performance each and every time out. Matt Balmer returns as Larry Trainer. Brendan Fraser, that Brendan Fraser, oh yeah, is back as Cliff Steele, aka Robot Man, and Jovian Wade is playing Cyborg, and Timothy Dalton is back as the Chief. And how this band of misfits make it happen is anybody's guess, but man, oh man, they've done two amazing seasons. And like I say, the similarities to the X-Men, if you're not familiar, are there, but this has done so much better, and it's so much quirkier and darker. It's been such a thrill ride watching this, and going into this week, there's a lot to digest. The trailer came out for Season 3, and to break down what you're going to see is going to be a wild trip because we kind of jump in, not even really touching upon what happened last season because last season was left with a lot of questions and we don't get a lot of answers from the trailer. Mm-hmm. But we get enough that we can just kind of jump in and see what's going on. Because as the trailer kicks off, we have a little bit of a machine drilling up from the ground and approaching Rita Farr, a.k.a. Last Woman. And out of that comes a character known as Madame Roche. Mm. Now, Pad, you might know who this is. The actress playing her is Michelle Gomez. Okay. Rings a bell. Missy from Doctor Who. Oh, okay. That's why. So she's joining the show, and she will be one of the major antagonists. And you see her interact with Rita Farr, and they definitely have got some history going on, too, and just how they are going to be playing off each other. It is very, very interesting to see how this is going to be going forward. Then we kind of get a little time travel talk going on, too, which, I mean, obviously here in... Brendan Fraser's character break it down is always entertaining and how this is all tying into. We do hear that we're going to finally see the brotherhood of evil. Now this has Mm. been their longstanding rogues in the comics. Now this is not the same normal villains that you would see in a regular X-Men book. So to speak. Sure. These are a very quirky set of villains as well. We do have a talking, or we do have a gorilla, mm-hmm. a talking gorilla too, a Monsieur Mala. And we do have the brain, which basically looks like a Dalek to tie it into Doctor Who yeah, range. Yeah, I'm seeing similarities. But there's a lot of uh, differences, so to speak. Like I say, the quirkiness is here, and it's something that just you really fall in love with this show. Because this is not something that you see in every comic. This is not something you see on TV. And where they're going to be going from this you're seeing a lot of moving parts, especially time travel. We do have another character named Gargal, who we do know from the earlier days of the Doom Patrol comics. And he is going to be another villain that we see on the show who's basically going for the whole world domination thing. And see how they kind of pan out against each other is going to be really fun to watch. And then we get, like, from the trailer, it seems like they go back into time a little bit, as we kind of figured they might. 
And there's just those little quirky moments where you see Robot Man leading everybody in dancing Mm -hmm. because this is what happens. And then we do get mentioned about another team that is involved in this show, and that's the sisterhood of Dada. Now, in the comics, it's the Brotherhood, and it was technically started by Mr. Nobody, who we know Ellen Tudyk played in season one. Right. I don't know how this is going to shape out for this trailer or this season coming up. The trailer did not really tip their hand about what's going on with this group per se and in connection with Mr. Nobody. But we do see a couple characters that are on this show, Frenzy and Sleepwalk. Now, we do know Frenzy, who's played by Miles Musenden, because he was on Cloak and Dagger. Oh, okay. Otis Johnson. Ah, okay. So it's definitely cool to see him back on the screen. And Sleepwalk is played by Anita... Kalarath? Kalratha. Mm. So apologies for butchering the names. And we're going to see like a lot more of the characters get introduced from this team. Because like I said, it's kind of a quirky team too as well. We do have another familiar face, Wynn Everett, who we know from Agent Carter, Ooh. is coming on as The Fog. So like I said, they have a pretty star-studded lineup coming in for this show. And we do kind of see a little bit of a connection to last season. Like they, like I say, they don't pick up on the cliffhanger and the events per se, but we do tie into a lot of what Crazy Jane was going through because with her powers, it's she's a, has multiple personalities. Each one has a power. Mm-hmm. And we saw a lot of emotional scenes last year, and you really understand her character to the, to the core. And to see that fallout, we do kind of get a little tease that we're going to be dealing with that this season. We do see that something is going on with Cyborg, who we do know is a mainstay of the DC universe. Right. And just kind of like how he's dealing with being a man inside the machine and kind of how that parallels goes. We do see a little more with Robot Man and obviously his history, Negative Man, and just how they're balancing around each other and just with that quirky humor, which you even see at one point, Robot Man is like, I am so high right now, to paraphrase, because literally when you watch this show, it's nothing like you see on TV. Right. It's so in its own element. It's out there. It's different. But yet, it still carries those superhero overtones. Maybe not to the degree that we see on typical superhero shows or even in the MCU. This show is so different on so many levels. But that's what makes it work. And to see them now at season three is a true accomplishment. Yeah. Because you would think about this, Doom Patrol has never been one of those mainstay household names. No, and, and definitely based off of the the names you mentioned and some of the heroes and whatnot, there's like, I would say, one household name. For, and, I, and when I say household name, I'm talking like names that even the non-comic book reader fans will recognize, and that's Cyborg. Right. But this is where this team has actually transcended and made Robot Man into... I don't want to say a household name, but more popular than he was. But everybody loves Brendan Fraser, and he makes this character work. I mean, to think about it, that he was not exactly the greatest human being ever, had his brain transported into a robot body, and is now like stuck. And it's not like Iron Man where he can get out of it. He's literally stuck in a robot, and to make this character work, and still he's the humor and heart and soul of this team. It's truly an astonishing moment. Like I say, there is so much to be really happy about with this show. And it also opens the door for other mature readers slash alternative comics to get on movies, TV. Yeah. Because when Hollywood is seeing that these shows are successful, 
it does allow a show like Why the Last Man to get made. Mm-hmm. You do see shows like Sweet Tooth getting produced. You do have those alternative comics now coming to life. I mean, remember, we had a moment in time where we had Happy on TV. Mm, yeah, true. So to see those comics come to life, you really have to say there is a market for it. And that's why this show really stands out. Because let alone being nominated for awards is one big thing in Hollywood because technically it doesn't really happen a lot of time for superhero shows. No, I mean, you really didn't get, even for like, uh, what was it, the Oscars, you really didn't get a super a superhero big nomination outside of costumes, you know, cinematography or even special effects until Black Panther uh, when that came out. Mm-hmm. So to see that crossover appeal happen, that opens up so much that seeing shows like Doom Patrol do well is a huge win. Like I can't, yeah. I can't emphasize that enough. It really sets the tone to get other projects done. And for everybody that's like, oh, the MCU looks all the same. If it's uh, every movie is the same, it's cookie cutter. This is your perfect alternative. There is nothing on TV that's like Doom Patrol. Just don't watch it all at once. Yeah, you can't. Like I have to space it out. Which I mean, luckily you, we're allowed to do here because trying to binge watch it, I don't recommend because it's a lot to intake. It's visually intense, and storyline-wise will definitely hit you very hard, but it's so well done. Like I say, you should just completely savor the moment that you're in with this show. And to see it get picked up for another season is great. I hope they continue the show. I mean, there's a lot that they can build off of and really go a lot of places that really a show like this shouldn't work, but yet they have the potential to really make it happen. I'm super excited to see you come back to the HBO Max this week. And obviously, they're on a big win stretch right now. We do have yeah. Titans. Titans is doing rather well this season. I know we talked about it a few episodes ago. I'm still watching it, and it's definitely carrying through the what the DC Universe set up for it. Even the transition to HBO Max, they haven't missed a beat. Doom Patrol especially, it captures that quirkiness and mix it perfectly with a superhero vibe. This is why the show is working so much. And like I say, there's nothing like it on TV. It's so over the top in its moments. It's so different. It really pops out. And to get that audience and get mainstream audience to tune in mm-hmm. is a true win. And like I say, I'm really excited to see what the numbers are going to be. Like I said, the trailer looks really good. Because even if you don't know what's going on, you still have a great idea. Like this is going to be completely out there. Yeah. Different. And something people are going to be talking about. So when this drops this week on HBO Max, I definitely want to have the ODPH Society let me know what you think. I know we got a lot of fans of the show. It's going to be wild. It's going to be a crazy trip. Let's go. Check it out. Dropping on stream September 23rd. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPH pod. Are you checking out Doom Patrol? Let's have that conversation. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. So let us talk about that this coming week on social media. You can find me on Twitter at ODParleyHour. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple things to talk about. First of all, let's talk about Dark Phoenix. 
What? Yeah. Why? Why? Uh, listen, it's an opportunity to shit on Dark Phoenix, and I don't pass up that opportunity because Dark Phoenix, to my recollection, and this is without me sitting down and making up a list and thinking of every movie I've ever seen, which in 30-plus years, that's going to be a long list. Facts. Uh, it is pro- I'm going to say it is the worst movie I've ever seen, and it is the one movie I don't regret walking out of because, hey, I would have saved a lot of time if I did so. Uh, but Jessica Chastain, who was, of course, in the movie, made an appearance on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, and she talked a bit about her involvement in the movie and said uh, it took her a while to learn her character's name, which, when you're making a movie and then you're going out and promoting a movie, is never a good look. No. Uh, she said, quote, uh, I think the studio was bought at a certain point. I didn't even know my character's name, what my character's name was, until I saw the film. What's happening? Uh, she said. Of course, we all remember that Dark Phoenix was the sequel to X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, Chastain, for those who don't remember or didn't see the movie, I envy the shit out of you. Uh, she played <laughs> Vuk, uh, who was the leader of the Dabari alien race in the film. Uh, she was also playing a character named Margaret Smith, who was a woman Vuk impersonates. Uh, fans were, you know, article I'm reading from says fans were looking forward to Dark Phoenix. I really beg to differ with that statement uh, because the movie was god fucking awful. Uh, looking at its rotten tomato score it has a tomato meter of 22 percent, and that is based off of 381 reviews and then it's got a very generous audience score of 64 percent, which i say is far too goddamn high hmm. uh and then according to imdb it had an estimated budget of 200 million dollars and then uh it had a worldwide uh gross of 250 a little over 252 million dollars uh it opened with only 32.8 million dollars so it was a theatrical bomb uh, it's fucking awful. And, and, you know, it, it, if there's anything good that came out of Chastain's experience, uh, she's not all about superhero movies. Uh, she said, quote, I don't want to be a super, I don't want to be a superhero because if you're a superhero, you're doing 10 films. I don't want to sign a 10 year contract. She did so say, if it's just a regular villain and the money is right, she might sign on the dotted line. Well, it's big money. I mean, that's the thing about it. With Hollywood, listen, superhero films are in. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's why you They're not have, for everybody, though. Yeah, they're not for everybody. But, you know, like if you want to play a one-and-done villain, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm mean, i not sure what that was supposed to foreshadow, if anything, but it's just her honest opinion. I think it's just her telling Hollywood, like, hey, listen, you know, Disney, you know, uh, Warner Brothers, Sony, whoever. Like, if you want to cast me in a as a villain in a superhero role, I'm not shutting the door on that possibility. Yeah, which I can't blame her on. No. Uh, speaking with former uh, superhero actors, Topher Grace did an uh, AMA on Reddit. Oh, God. Uh, and he was oh, no. asked if he is going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home. And he said, quote, please keep it between us. But yes, I am in it. The plot starts with Peter Parker, Tom Holland, bummed that everyone knows his identity and then some crazy shit happens when Doctor Strange and Doctor Octopus, Alfred Molina, comes into his dimension. Then Electro and Green Goblin hop out of one of those energy circles and they're like, it's spider stomping time. Then Tom Hardy and I pop out and battle each other and I win, obvi. It's like not even a fight. I just kick his ass immediately. Not to give too much away, but there are also some actors from the original 70s Spider-Man show, Aquaman and Batman, Affleck, not Keaton, crossover. And thanks to Disney, Han Solo's ghost from Rise of the Skywalker and that Eve robot from Wally. Again, please keep between us. Close quote. What a troll. <laughs> so what good, a though. Troll. It's so good, it. though. I love it. Uh, it. It's the proverbial meme of he had me in the first half. Not going to lie. 
Like I didn't think it was real, but I'm like, all right, I can buy that as like I, a plausible. I can still make that. I yeah. can I can buy it as a plausible plot description. But then you, then you went left field with it. Uh, st- switching over to some stuff that came out this week, we didn't review it on the show because hey, Disney Plus decided to drop all nine episodes at once, so we're still getting through them. But Star Wars Visions did drop uh, today. Uh, it's very easily bingeable. It's you know, first two episodes are like less than twenty minutes. Uh, it's a very good episodes. I love the shit out of them. Uh, I will say this: if you are a casual Star Wars fan. Uh, or even a fan that was turned off by some of the more recent stuff, definitely give this a shot. It's a lot of fun. It's not canon, so don't even try to, like, all right, where does this take place? And, like, none of this is canon. The producers said none of this is canon. You know, but as with Star Wars, nothing's ever not canon forever. They could t- pick and choose pieces out of here and bring it into canon later. But it's definitely a fun watch from the two episodes I've seen thus far. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to go check it out. Obviously, that'll be the first segment we talk about next week's show, yeah. barring anything world-breaking. Yeah, uh, and then uh, switching over to uh, some Disney Plus stuff, uh, you do have an interest, or sticking with some more Disney Plus stuff, I should say. It was announced uh, just the other day that coming this November 12th is Disney Plus Day. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with what this is, uh, it was announced that uh, Marvel Studios' Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings will be getting added to Disney+, and they're deciding to make a whole day out of it. Uh, because also getting added on that day, you've got Disney's Jungle Cruise, okay, Home Sweet Home Alone, Disney's Olaf Presents, okay. Disney and Pixar's Ciao Alberto, hmm. an all-new short from The Simpsons, okay, uh, episodes one through five from season two of the world according to Jeff Goldblum from National Geographic. Nice Star Wars special look. Okay, a Marvel special look and more. So if I had to guess, uh, Star Wars special look might be something from the Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian season three, uh, and then Marvel special look. I would guess maybe upcoming movies, upcoming shows might get some first look footage at that. You know, you never know. If I have to make a guess for the Marvel, I'm gonna say Moon Knight. Okay. I think that that would be, be the safest. But I mean, because they, don't, I don't think they would show anything Hawkeye. Yeah. Right before it's coming out on premiere, I, like to me that doesn't make a lot of business sense. Probably not. It could be Miss Marvel. Could I be. know that that's got to be very, very close to seeing a trailer sooner than later for, for that so. show. I would imagine. So definitely have to keep eyes peeled for that. Yeah. Uh, and then switching over to some movie news, this one definitely came out of left field. Uh, it was announced today from the folks over at Warner Brothers and the Fantastic Beasts Twitter account that we got a title and a release date for the next Fantastic Beasts film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so uh, it is officially titled uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, uh, and it is coming to theaters, hell, a lot sooner than we thought. Uh, it was originally supposed to come out July 15th of 2022, but it's now scheduled to open uh, in theaters on April 15th, 2022. Uh, so definitely, you know, a very interesting surprise. Uh, we do have the fir- uh, first plot details have also been shared uh, by the way of an official logline, which reads, quote, Professor Albus Dumbledore knows that the powerful dark wizard Gellert Grindelwald is moving to seize control of the wizarding world. Unable to stop him alone, he entrusts magizoologist Newt Scamander to lead an intrepid team of wizards, witches, and one brave muggle baker on a dangerous mission where they encounter old and new beasts and clash with Grindelwald's growing legion of followers. But what the stakes so? But with the stakes so high, how can Dumbledore remain on the sidelines? Close quote. So this is the third in a series of five films set in the uh, prequel times before Harry Potter takes place. Specifically, I think the first one takes place like 1910s second one is in like the 30s or something like that okay so but if you know anything about harry potter you know where this is going to end this is going to end with dumbledore facing grindelwald i'm not spoiling anything that's been known in harry potter lore and canon since like 2005 maybe sooner uh but no it's gonna be very interesting because the title of secrets of dumbledore 
if you've read the books and you've seen the Harry Potter movies, you know some secrets about Dumbledore and specifically what happened between him and Gr- uh, Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. Those all took place before the events were at in the movie, so I'm not quite sure what more secrets there are to be revealed about Dumbledore, but I'm definitely interested to see it. I'm intrigued by it. Yeah. I will say that. I mean, I, I'm not too big on the whole prequel thing for Harry Potter, but sure. it is what it is. Yeah, it's, it's a prequel, but it's also a different prequel where, like, you're not really tying in a ton of the main characters from the original saga, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So you're a little beholden in that one specific event has to take place, but it's not like with Star Wars where it's like, all right, X, Y, Z, A, and B have to happen right uh over to some netflix news this was very interesting uh netflix has bought the rights to the rolled doll estate uh to wow make, to make movies tv games and more uh so uh of reading from an article courtesy of ign it says quote netflix has now formally announced its acquisition of the rolled doll story company giving it the rights to create projects based on the author's works across all of mainstream entertainment media the two companies have formed a partnership had formed a partnership three years ago but this deal means that netflix now effectively owns the rolled doll estate netflix now sees the uh, the creation of a unique universe across animated and live action films and tv publishing games immersive experiences live theater consumer products and more it will also receive royalties on existing rolled doll books netflix's assured fans uh, were committed to maintaining their unique spirit and their universal themes of surprise and kindness while also sprinkling some fresh magic into the mix uh per the bbc the rolled doll story company will now become a division of netflix no figure has been given as to what netflix paid to acquire the company now if you're sitting there and going wait what does this mean what kind of products are we talking about charlie and the chocolate factory mm-hmm. matilda uh, and then James and the Giant Peach all fall under the uh, streamer's umbrella. So that's definitely very interesting. It's very, very interesting. That's a deep library for them to, yeah. to play around with. So with Netflix, you know, like I said, they've been winning right now. They're 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 making a quiet moves here and there that, yeah. you know, it's kind of they're doing the slow burn play. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, I uh, got some very exciting news or potential news. It's not nothing officially confirmed yet. Uh, but this is in regards to the Amazon Lord of the Rings series. And we got somebody returning to the fold. Oh no! It's not any of the actors or actresses. No, it's not Peter Jackson himself. It is the one, the only, the legend composer Howard Shore. Oh, nice! So Howard Shore, according to Dunline, is in talks or real close to returning to compose the music for Amazon's Lord of the Rings series, which would be fucking huge. Like, if there's any movie where the music goes and is so important to the story, Lord of the Rings is it. And Howard Shore has composed the film, the music for all six current existing Lord of the Rings Tolkien films. Mm-hmm. He worked on all three Hobbits. He worked on all three Lord of the Rings, which are masterful fucking albums. I, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, I highly recommend you listen to him if you haven't already. You know, uh, you know he's done a lot of work. He won three Academy Awards for his work on Lord of the Rings. Uh, best original score for Fellowship of the Ring and then Return of the King. And then he got best original song for Into the West, which was on Return of the King, if I'm not mistaken. Shore's also got an impressive friggin' lineup. Uh, like I mentioned, he's worked on Lord of the Rings. He's worked on Hobbit Trilogy. He also did work on The Departed, mm-hmm. Ab- uh, The Aviator, Dogma, Mrs. Doubtfire, Silence of the Lambs, Twilight Eclipse, and... Uh, a whole bunch more so of course this is uh on the head of uh the show's premiere which is supposed to take place on september 2nd of next year uh first season is uh, said to have cost 465 million dollars <laughs> which is the most expensive tv series ever seriously like i can't even wrap my head around that i cannot fucking wait I, and the I, fact I, that you have howard short like i saw this and i like jumped out of my seat i was like let's fucking go yeah you, you gotta be excited about that oh you have to uh and then switching over to my comic picks for the week you've got batman issue number 113 
Uh, Batman The Adventure Continues, uh, issue number four from season two. This, this, uh, this is, of course, the continuation of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, the description of this is, After a body washes ashore at the Gotham docks, Batman hunts for a mysterious mercenary simple, simply known as the Muscle. But can the Dark Knight protect the assassin's next target, Detective Rene Montoya? Uh, then you've also got Batman The Detective, issue number five. Uh, the very interesting one over from the folks at Marvel. Death of Doctor Strange, issue number one of five. Description of this is, Death comes for the Sorcerer Supreme. Doctor Stephen Strange is the world's greatest neurosurgeon and Earth's Sorcerer Supreme. He defends our planet from the supernatural and interdimensional threats no other hero is equipped to handle. But what would happen if he unexpectedly died? What, uh, who would protect Earth and keep the mystical evils at bay? And most importantly, who killed Stephen Strange? The final chapter in the life of Doctor Strange starts here by Jed McKay, who worked on Moon Knight and Black Cat, and Lee uh, Garbay, who worked on Captain Marvel. Uh, so this is definitely one to check out. I'm going to be very interesting. You know, like, I, I'm interested in checking that book out, but my thing is, like, you know they're not to take Stephen Strange. He's not going to be dead for long. No, I mean, they, they killed off Wolverine by covering him inside and out with liquid adamantium, and they still brought him back. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, I mean, it's going to be a cool story, but I'm just like, yeah. it takes that away when you know, like, a character is untouchable like that. Yeah. Uh, then you've got Nightwing issue number 84 still coming from Tom Taylor, which is so goddamn good. Yes. Cannot recommend the Nightwing series enough. Uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunters issue number 16. Uh, and then last, but certainly not least, Transformers Beast Wars issue number eight, because goddamn, that's been so good. That's been on point, too. And I got to plug the parlay points this week. Two comic reviews up right now. Exo Man Award number six is on your shelves from Valiant Comics, Dennis Hopeless and Emilio Lazio. Uh, listen, very cool story going on right now. What is up with Shanhara? The armor of exo is really having some issues right now and their relationship is going to get pushed to the test and where does this define exo man of war moving forward in the valiant universe very very solid issue there and then we i decided to take a trip uh, another side of boom studios i know everybody's reading eat the rich and as you should but i decided to take a little shot and cover once in future by kieran gillian and dan mora very cool concept here and it's nothing like I've seen before because it kind of teeters on with King Arthur mythology okay. and modern day mischief going on. A lot of wind going on. The action sequences pop off the page. Boom Studios with another hit on their hands. But obviously, you know this because it's going for 20 issues now. So definitely check out both blogs. Let me know what you think. And definitely head on over to your local comic shops. Go pick them up and definitely support your local comic shops as you support your local independent podcasts covering comics. Shout out to my guy, Brian Wayne. Cheers to comics too. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I guess I got one, one shot. Cause pad, you definitely had my arsenal lined up right there. We had a surprise trailer drop on us. Oh, I was not expecting to see this because I thought this universe was dead. Okay. We got a hit monkey trailer. Oh yeah. From Hulu. Now, this was supposed to be tied into the Offenders universe. Right. I know MODOK came out, and obviously we didn't hear anything about a second season yet or what was going to tie into that, but it was supposed to have another couple spinoff shows going with that. Uh, Howard the Duck was going to be one, and uh, a Tigra and a Dazzler show, I think. Yeah, was, that sounds about right. was supposed to be connected yeah. there. Now, obviously, things have changed with Kevin Feige taking the reins over on all Marvel television and movies. So to see this one still come out, because like I said, I did not know it was going to happen. I was very, very surprised at. And it, we did see the trailer, and it is absolutely as wild as it can be because, listen, if you have 
a monkey assassin. In a, in a suit. In a suit doing badassery. Like, listen, this is a must-watch. Yeah, I, the trailer came across my uh, Facebook feed the other day, and I, I saw it, and I was like, wait, what the fuck is this? And then I watched the trailer, and I asked, what the fuck is this? Yes. So it was very, very interesting to see that this made it on there, because like I said, I thought it was canceled along with the other two shows that haven't debuted yet. I don't think they ever canceled them. I want to say they like just didn't say anything about them, and people just kind of assumed they were canceled. Yeah, see, like that was the thing. They just went away mysteriously. Yeah. So... Either way, I was I'm super happy to see this trailer come out. Ten episodes are going to start dropping on Wednesday, November 17th. So definitely check out the trailer and let me know what you think on, OD, on ODPH social media because I definitely want to interact with some people about this. I like the trailer. I liked it a lot. Had very cool vibes from it. So definitely have to wait till November 17th and check it all out. So that being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH podcast is that a shout at the robots. They are fantastic people. You should go support them. Pad, if I want to go support them, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. Check out everything going on with Shout. Everything going on with Tom Jolu. Everything going on with Second Suitor. Floodlands. Yard Party. Brian Wolf. All the great music you hear on the ODPH can be yours. Go there. Click. Support. Enough said. But while you're at the website, check out the directory. So if you are saying, well, you know what? I listen to podcasts on this platform, but I don't know where to find you guys. Simple. We have all our links right there. So you can just hit there, follow. You won't miss an episode. And we know you love that ODPH content because that's why you keep tuning back in. Also, while you're at the website, check out the classifieds, which has friends of the show, organizational link support and Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we are in via their pod chaser pages, because I've said it once to say a thousand times. If you claim you're in a group and you are not on pod chaser with your group, you're not in a group. So shout out to the apocalypse, shout out to the inner circle. And of course, shout out to 607 podcast and our family and pod over at 8122productions.com. All of that. The T public store is having a sale this week. Pad t-shirts, $13 starting. Ooh, that ain't bad. And sale on items up to 38% off. Where, oh. where do you go wrong? If you want to get that Parlay Club shirt, which I'm telling you what, and I can't say thank you enough for supporting the show, has to be the hottest shirt in independent podcasting. I'm just going to put that out there. So if you want to get yours for a sale price, now is the time. All of that and so much more. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.